Hello everyone and welcome to this week's edition of the Spanish Football Podcast. I'm Phil Kitramelides. Dr. Sidlow joins me as ever. Hello, Sydney. Hello, Phil. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Really looking forward to today's podcast. Match Day 21 has thrown up many, 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 many talking points as well as bringing us a whole host of goals, particularly on Sunday, which was a, a very entertaining day. Uh, shall we tell everyone what happened on Match Day 21 and then talk about some of the, uh, the main issues, Sid? Good idea. All right, this is what happened then. On Match Day 21, it all started at the Estadio Mendizorza on Friday night as Alaves beat Cadiz. By a goal to nil, it turned out to be the final game in charge for Sergio González, uh, who was relieved of his duties, as everyone expect him uh, to be. Cadiz haven't won in nearly five months. They're in the relegation zone and they're on the lookout for a new manager. Then on Saturday, uh, we were both at the magnificent Estadio de Vallecas to see uh, Raya Vallecano lose by two goals to nil to Las Palmas. There is a really good phrase in Spanish, Sydney. We couldn't score in a rainbow Imagine a rainbow was the goal. That's how big a rainbow is. Yeah, well, that's Rio, basically. Couldn't score in a rainbow. Uh, beaten 2-0 by Las Palmas. Missed a whole host of chances. And Las Palmas uh, continue to be effective in front of goal. And they're uh, eighth in the table, Las Palmas. And absolutely, um, I was going to say flying. They're certainly overachieving. I don't think many of us expected them to be uh, doing quite so well at this stage of the season. Uh, Villarreal and Mallorca played out a 1-1 draw. Valencia... Uh, beat Athletic Club, Athletic, who are uh, unbeaten in three months, but uh, Hugo Duro's ninth goal of the season handed uh, Valencia all three points, and Valencia with four consecutive league wins, doing very well indeed. And then Real Sociedad beat Celta Vigo by a goal to nil, Bryce Mendez against his former club with his o- the only goal of the game. The two sides meet again tomorrow night in the quarterfinals of the Copa del Rey. Then on Sunday... Things got pretty tasty indeed. Osasuna beat Getafe 3-2. Jesus Areso scoring what proved to be the winning goal. It's his first goal in his career, Jesus Areso. And it's the only one I think he will score from the corner flag, basically. People were saying this is goal of the season. If you like mishit crosses that end up going in, then yeah, I guess it is. (laughs) Everyone's going, what a goal, what a goal, unbelievable goal. It's a mishit cross that somehow goes in, but it's um, quite an incredible trajectory on the ball, I guess. But yeah, Osasuna 3, Getafe 2. Then, at the Estadio Santiago Bernabeu, Real Madrid beat Almeria by uh, three goals to two. Almeria were 2-0 up at half-time, but goals from Jude Bellingham, Vinicius Jr. and Danny Carvajal confirmed Real Madrid's comeback. Lots of us, lots of things for us to talk about from this game. It was controversial, I think it's fair to say. Uh, Barcelona actually played pretty well uh, at the Benito Villamarín. They were 2 0 up against Real Betis. Two goals from Isco got the Verdi Blancos back in the game before João Félix and Ferran Torres scored in injury time uh, for Barca to record a victory. And then Girona kept on being Girona. They absolutely Gironaed Sevilla, who took the lead. But then a three, uh, six-minute hat-trick from Artem Dovbik, goals from Tsigankov and Stuani, a 5-1 victory for Girona. They're top of the table. They're the top scorers in the division and they are the best team in Spain. Monday Night Football is Granada against Atletico Madrid. We have to start then with the game at the Bernabeu, uh, not least uh, because I think it was um, the main talking point of the weekend and it wasn't so much the football, but it was the... Refereeing decisions, uh, Sydney. So I'm sure most people listening to us will be aware of what happened in the game. But if they're not, here's what happened. Almeria were 2-0 up at half-time. Uh, Real Madrid looked 
What's the adjective? They looked tired. They looked not in the game at all in that first half. And then they um, they got into the game in the second half with a penalty that was uh, given for a handball, uh, which the referee was told to come and have a look at by VAR. Then Almeria scored a goal to go 3-1 up, which was disallowed. Uh, the VAR once again told the referee to come and have a look for a foul on Jude Bellingham in the build-up. And then they equalised with the goal from Vinicius Jr., which the referee thought it had been a handball coming in off uh, Vinicius Jr.'s arm. The VAR then told the referee uh, that no, come and have a look because we think it comes off his shoulder. Uh, no controversy about uh, Danny Carvajal's winner in the 99th minute, uh, but there was plenty before. You know us guys... We don't talk about refs a lot and we don't like dwelling on this, but there isn't really anywhere else to start our discussion from this game by uh, uh, analysing what happened in um, in the VAR room in this game, Sid. Yeah, and I, and I think it's worthwhile as well. Um, and I realise that there will be some people saying, you hypocrites, you say you don't talk about it and now you're going to. Uh, actually, we do talk about it. Just the, the main thing is we're not dragged into or we try not to be dragged into the kind of whole conspiratorial nature of it. And before we start, there is a very important point that I feel like making um, on this very subject and that is that after the Barcelona game Xavi Hernandez was asked about this and, and he he said something along the lines of you know there are things that don't fit things and, that don't add up yeah that don't add up that's a good word for it yeah knowing Kakan that's, that's right it's a good word, way of saying it it's things that don't add up rather than things that don't fit um, in fact, I should probably change the copy in which I've written that piece. <laughs> Thank you very much, Phil. This is no why worries. I should always talk to you before I send my piece to the paper. Because I'm you're always, mate. I'm you're always there to, to clear, usually to clear up my maths. But anyway, sometimes to clear up my use of English and Spanish as well. Um, and, and anyway, the point I was going to make was, was briefly that this has inevitably turned into the usual debate involving the usual two teams. And I find it quite frustrating that in these kind of scenarios, the focus gets taken away from Almeria. So Almeria don't even get the, if you like, the right for this to be about them. It becomes about Madrid and Barcelona again. And, and actually the team that most suffers this is Almeria, a team who haven't won all season, who are almost certainly going down. In fact, I would say it's, it would take a virtual miracle for them not to go down now. And who yet again didn't win from a position in which they might have done. Hmm. And, and so the frustration for them is far greater than it is for any other club in Spain. And yet, of course, it becomes about the normal two. Anyway, that said, there are other reasons to talk about this. And I, and I, think, I think one of them is, as, as I often say when we talk about referees, that I think there's something about the mechanics and the concepts involved that I think is important beyond which team it benefits or doesn't benefit. Um, and, and I think the VAR thing is really, really interesting. And the reason why I say the VAR thing is interesting, or maybe alternatively you could say it's absolutely tedious, but let's pick up on it. And that is that, and this is exactly the same as something we said when we first talked about the VAR uh, recordings about a week ago. The first time we picked up on it. And I remember I, remember I said to you something like, we were told that the guy in the VAR room wasn't going to try and influence the decision at all. Yes. His role was going to be, I'm going to show you the image and nothing else. If you listen to the recordings in this, this is the guy in the VAR room saying, you are wrong, this is the right answer, and then giving him the, the visuals to prove it. I guess the, and I um, thought it was very... Maybe the context, sorry, the context, I guess, behind that maybe being that the guy in the VAR is Hernandez Hernandez, an international referee of vast experience, and the guy who was refereeing the game is Hernandez Maeso, who was doing yeah, his 10th possibly. game ever in La Liga. Yes, that, that, that's true. There, there may well be a degree of context there, perhaps so. And, and actually, you know, the, the use of language is, is good in the sense that it's, that it's short, it's the point, there's no kind of chat, it's straightforward. Show me that image, show me that image, show me that one. Now, to specifically deal with the three decisions 
Um, one is a handball for, uh, for, for a penalty that Bellingham scores. The VAR footage shows the possibility as the cross comes in of a couple of um, pushes from Real Madrid players, Tony Rudiger and Jose Lu. Now, for what it's worth, I would never, I don't think, on the basis of VAR, allow either of those two potential pushes to, to, to rule out a decision. They're, they're not big enough for me. But that's my personal opinion. And I think that penalty's all right. I think it's a very clear handball. The goal that Vinicius scores, I'm, I'm, I'm disconcerted by this. because, And the reason I'm disconcerted by it is that I think there is a fundamental problem um, in, how do I say this, in the conceptualisation of this. And I've even mm-hmm. said this before, which, is, which I'm pleased I said it before because, because it means I can say it now without people saying, oh, you're just sleeping on it now. And that is, I think it is absolutely bloody absurd, completely and utterly absurd, that a shoulder is differentiated from the rest of the arm when it comes to deciding whether or not it's a handball. Unless, in my view, the ball hits you on the top of the shoulder. In other words, what would essentially be, if it's not hitting your shoulder, it's hitting your neck, if you see what I mean, on the level mm-hmm. of your neck, on the top of the shoulder. I do not see how you can decide that the shoulder is, part, is not part of the arm as it goes down, either down the side or down the front of the arm. Okay. The reason I say that well, is because... Well, that's a very personal opinion because that's not the rules, is it? No, but it's the way it used to be and they changed it. And now you've got these little drawings where it shows a line on a person's arm saying yeah. that's not a handball above this line, that's not a handball down below this line. But of course, those drawings are drawn on, on what would you call them? Um, uh, empty cartoons that aren't even cartoons of a human body. Mm-hmm. Like, like the kind of cartoons you get on the, on the toilet door, right? Mm-hmm. So that doesn't help you. It doesn't tell you anything. Mm-hmm. So where does the shoulder end and the arm start? And I think it's bloody ridiculous. Anyway, even within that context, one of the things that's really interesting about the VAR here is it shows a couple of angles where it looks like Vinicius puts this in with his shoulder. And it doesn't show the referee on the pitch a couple of angles where it looks, and forgive me for saying this, but I'm going to say it, where it looks very clearly like he puts it in with his arm, not his shoulder. Mm. And the thing that really I find disconcerting about this is A, that, the, that not all the images were shown for something which was really down to deciding where the ball hits. Well, that really is something where you've got to see all the angles because if you're trying to decide where, and that in theory is an objective piece of information, surely you've got to have all the evidence. But the other thing that I find disconcerting about this is that Vinicius did this deliberately. Now. If the rules say you can score with his shoulder, there's no reason why he shouldn't deliberately kind of throw his shoulder at the ball to score, right? If the rules say that. He's latterly tweeted about it saying, correct. Yeah, they say we do this on the beach in Brazil. In Copacabana, yeah. 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 Um, But then there's a bit of me that thinks that conceptually isn't this a problem because we're effectively saying to people you can deliberately handball if you're using your shoulder. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's like you're actually getting an advantage from your arm. Regardless of whether it hits your shoulder or arm, you're getting an advantage from your arm. That just strikes me as baffling in a, in a conceptual sense. For what it's worth, I think that's the wrong decision. Mm-hmm. Even notwithstanding all of my doubts about the concept, simply saying, did it hit his arm? In my opinion, yes, it did. That mm-hmm. shouldn't be a goal. Mm-hmm. Then the third one is um, a decision where... Um, who was it? The player? I forgot which player it was. Dion Loppy um, with Bellingham. Loppy, that's right. Yeah. Loppy is turning away from Bellingham. And he catches Bellingham in the face with his hand as he's turning and he plays the pass and the move carries on up the pitch and they score. Um, I have, again, two conceptual problems with this. One is how far back do you take the move? Because I don't think there's any advantage gained by Almeria in, in, in the foul on Bellingham if you judge it to be a foul. Because Bellingham, he's left Bellingham behind and he's getting away. It's not that he's pushed Bellingham off. 
He's left him behind as he's going away. And I think the other conceptual thing for me is I don't see why contact, even if it is in the face with a hand, has to be a foul, has necessarily to be a foul. But, but it does. And so therefore, this is rightly ruled out. That's the rules. It, mm. Rightly ruled out. My, one, my other issue with this is, again, going back to the VAR thing, is the referee is standing right there and sees it. He's three metres away. Yes. And so then the question is, so much of what we were told about what VAR would do simply isn't the case. So if the referee is right there and it's right in front of him, why are we taking a view based on a screen that's supposedly only looking at clear and obvious if the referee has seen it directly in front of him? Now, obviously, as it turns out, as I say, a hand in the face is a foul. So therefore, it's the right decision. So I don't actually have too much to argue about, but I've got conceptual problems with it. So we do take these three decisions, full, full disclosure here, these three decisions that go against our Maria, I think one is wrong, and I think the other two I'll accept. I think the other two are right, but they're right in a way that I don't particularly like, but they're right. Now, I'm sure, dear listener, that you will have uh, many things that you'd like us to You may disagree, uh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, remember, we are not approaching this as fans, which a lot of you are, of either Real Madrid or Barcelona. We are trying to uh, be as impartial and as objective as, as possible when approaching this, despite some of your suspicions to the contrary. If you'd like us to discuss uh, something, why not become a patron at patreon.com forward slash TSFP and you can ask us a question which we will answer on tomorrow's Q&A podcast. You'll also get a bonus podcast later on in the week discussing the midweek action. And we also do an episode of TSFP Presents, uh, Rincon Cultural, uh, each month as well. So it's around about four euros or four quid a month. Loads of extra Spanish football content for you. So come and join us, patreon.com forward slash TSFP. Uh, before we move on, we should discuss, you know, the actual uh, football in this uh, game, which saw Real Madrid put in this immensely lethargic performance in the uh, first half and, and, and react, obviously, the refereeing decisions uh, conditioned how the game uh, went out, you know, c continued. But um, Real Madrid certainly, you know, they went for it in the, uh, in the second half. Jude Bellingham scoring the first penalty of the season for Real Madrid after uh, Modric, Rodrigo and Joselu had previously missed penalties. He stepped up and obviously provided the assist for uh, Danny Carvajal as well. So I guess Jude Bellingham, something of a, a bright spark for Real Madrid in the second half of this game. I, I, thought he was, I thought he was brilliant in the second half. I thought he was really, really good. And I thought so much of what they did was driven by him. You've got that overhead kick that goes just wide. It's the header for the Danny Carvajal goal. He's involved in everything they do. The penalty wasn't particularly convincing, mm. by the way. Or maybe it was. Maybe it's more convincing than it looks because actually that's what he's trying to do. Get the goalie out of the way and then just roll it down the middle. But it looked a bit, to, to me, it looked dangerously close to the goalie's foot. Yes, and a little bit scuffed and very central. But it, it went in. It went in, which is... A... But it went in and he played, he played very, very well. Obviously, Danny Carvajal, who scored the winning goal, played, played really well as well. I mean, again, you know, this is where I started. Also, I feel for Almeria and I was going through their games... And if you look at their results, I reckon you could, you could looking, at the, looking at them game by game, I think you can go through their results, Almeria, and say they could genuinely have been undefeated in their last nine. Hmm. 
Now, the only one that's an outlier for me is the defeat against Osasuna. But you, you see this. So the 3-2 against Real Madrid could have been undefeated. They drew 0-0 with Almeria of all teams. Sorry, with Girona of all teams, top of the table. They lost 1-0 to Osasuna. That's not a good performance, in my view. They lose 3-2 to Barcelona. I think really, really unlucky. They draw 0-0 with Mallorca. They lose 2-1 to Atletico Madrid, who were desperately hanging on at the end with Almeria very nearly getting the equaliser. They draw 0-0 with Betis. So listen to the teams they're playing as well. These are all teams near the top. They lose 2-1 to Getafe when they have more shots than Getafe. They lose 3-1 to Real Sociedad. You might say, well, 3-1, yeah, but Real Sociedad's second and third come in the 91st and the 95th minutes when Almeria have played really, really well. They lose 1-0 to Alaves, having massively outshot them. And I know the stats don't tell you everything, but they tell you a bit. And in the week before that, they lose 2-1 to Las Palmas, who score the winner in the 94th minute. Now, I've, I, this is an Almeria team who are on course to be the worst team in Spanish football history. In La Liga, yeah. And you look at them and think, they're, they're, they're not that bad. So, I mean, they sort of are, but they sort of aren't no, at the same that was time. going to be my question to you, but you kind of answered it. Um, Sporting Gijón in 97-98 uh, are officially the worst team in La Liga history with 13 points in total. Almeria are on course to get uh, fewer than those uh, points, but they they're not the worst team in, in La Liga history. And you know what? At the moment... They're not. At the moment... They're, I don't even... They're not even the worst team in La Liga. They're not the worst team in La Liga. But there we are. They're bottom of the table and uh, seemingly seemingly going now. Uh, let's talk about the game that you were at. The uh, really entertaining clash at the Benito Villamarín between Betis and uh, Barcelona. This this felt like it was it would be a good game to be at, Sid. And I think so proved the case. Yeah. It was. Yeah, it was. And... and, and um, well, we, I was there for ESPN, so we, we, we had the post-match interview with Xavi. I'm not sure if Xavi appreciated this, but I did say to him, my first question said, Xavi, I thought that was the best you've played since the last time you played Betis. And that was in September. Yes. Um, and, and I think that's true, don't you? I, I mean, mean, maybe the first hour against Real Madrid. Argue, how could fair. he argue about that? Well, as I say, maybe the first hour against Real Madrid, which they ended up losing, and maybe the first half against Atletico. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought, I thought they were genuinely pretty good in the first half. I thought they lost control of the game. But in really and truly, even when they lost control of the game, it was probably only about 15 minutes, wasn't it? Mm. It, it might not even have been that long. Betty scored two very quickly in a period in which, by the way, Isco was wonderful. Mm. Uh, what a player he is to watch anyway, but what a player he is to watch up close. Just, just, just fabulous. And, and Barcelona were really impressive. Um, two 16-year-olds in the team, although that won't be repeated because one of them Happy birthday, Paul Kubasi is 17 today. He walked past me in the flash zone and I thought, wow, you really are a kid. It was yeah. quite frightening. Um, and he and Lamine Yamal, both 16. And Lamine Yamal was brilliant. Really, really brilliant. And you know what? I was going to say, with about five minutes to go in this game, or I was, I was thinking in my mind with five minutes to go in this game, why would you play Jao Felix when you've got Lamine Yamal playing like this? And then Jao Felix came on and scored a really lovely fourth goal. Really brilliant Third taken. Goal. Sorry, third goal. Third goal, sorry, because then, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yes, because the, uh, then the self-appointed shark, El Tiburón, Ferran Torres, scored the, uh, scored the fourth goal, which was his, which was his hat-trick. Well, I guess it's, it's between Ferran and, and João Felix for a place on the left-hand side of the team, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think it probably is. And, and, and I think we might have mentioned this last week, you know. We were talking about um, Ferran Torres, who, who maybe is the player who is, I don't know, maybe... L- l- Less tactic, uh, technically gifted than than both Lamine Yamal and 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 Jao Felix, um, but he makes things happen. He scores goals, mm. and and it's easy to say that after this one. But we were saying this last week. His his goal scoring record for Spain is really good. He has hot and cold moments, um, and and there's been a lot of talk about about him this year, particularly mentally. Partly, as you say, because he's self appointed 
uh, as, as the shark, which is a little bit of a naff name. And, and actually, there's a bit of you that thinks you're kind of putting yourself on a hiding to nothing. But, but he was talking about this post-game yesterday and he said, look, he took a conscious decision. To say, OK, isolate yourself from the noise because at a club like Barcelona can be tough. Make yourself forget all of that. Be above it. Be strong. And then Chavi made the point, didn't he, last, uh, was it after the cup game, was it? I think it might have been. He said that he sent me a message in the summer. Fran Toro sent me a message in the summer basically saying, give me a chance. It was a great message. Give mm. me a chance. I'm going to demonstrate to you that I'm, I'm, I'm good at this, uh, that I can do this, that you can be trusted, that I can succeed at Barcelona. And Chavi said last night that Ferran Torres is the strongest player he's seen mentally. And I thought that was really what? striking wow. because it suggests, I don't know about you, it suggests, and I don't know if this is counterintuitive, but it suggests to me that there was a period in which he was maybe very nearly sunk mm. and that he's come back from it. Mm. Wow. Strongest player he's ever seen mentally. That's, um, that's interesting. And given the people that Chavi's played well, with, I mean, exactly. I don't know if he might only be talking about players he's coached. Right. I don't okay. know because it wasn't explicit, but, if, but he did use the words seen not words played with or coached or worked with or anything like that. he said seen mm. uh, so it's quite something uh, the second Isco goal I mean both Isco goals are absolutely brilliant really really brilliant goals the second Isco goal was initially ruled out and then it was given after a, a VAR check when you're watching on TV the VAR check is over the goal is given and the camera is sort of shaking with the noise generated uh, by the by the crowd there it did it did feel like um, it was quite an atmosphere. There was it really. It was it was brilliant when that went in. The noise was was extraordinary, and there was a there was a sense of momentum building. And there's a, there's a chance just after. Uh, is it, I think it's Luis Enrique puts the ball just past the post. Oh yes. coming across from yeah, the wing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and 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 you think if that goes in, this place goes absolutely nuts. And it was already going nuts. And 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 their response was really good, Betis. But but in fairness to Barcelona, I think them running out and winning it, and I think maybe even winning it by two goals was was right. Uh, Betis's first home defeat of the season. So um, that just makes it even more impressive for Barcelona, who are still there, still hanging on just about in this uh, in this title race. But they are now eight points behind leaders Girona, who absolutely battered Sevilla yesterday by five goals to one, as we said. Sevilla taking the lead, but not for the first time this season. Girona have conceded early and gone on to absolutely dismantle a team, which is, uh, which is what happened. I mean, this was just another sort of textbook Girona performance. It was brilliant. Yeah. Uh, and, and you're right, it was textbook. It was, it was everything that Girona have been so many times this season at home. And it was, it was that kind of comeback that didn't feel like an epic, mm. although there was plenty of pace to it, plenty of aggression to it, and all that sort of stuff. Because it just felt just like a, the, the, just, this is going to happen because they're really good at this. Because they will keep arriving in your area with five or six men putting the ball low across your six-yard box. I mean, they will finish goals off from, from, from two yards out. They're, they're, they're just brilliant. Just, it does feel, Sid, like almost every single goal they score is the same. It's these crosses it does, it? from it wide does. positions, but low crosses, low passes into the box, which someone running into and finishes off. I mean, it happens so many times. Yeah. That's it. It's not crosses in the kind of in the British sense of thinking about, you know, sling it in the mixer. It's the complete no. opposite of that. It's the final pass is a ball from outside to inside. Mm-hmm. It's not so much a we whack it in the box and see if someone can get ahead on it. <laughs> we and Artem Dovbik with his uh, with his hat trick in six minutes. A hell of a player. The Ukrainian striker is turning out to be. We certainly had no idea he was this good. I'm not sure if he knew <laughs> that he was he was this good, but he's now the Top scorer in La Liga with 14 goals joint with uh, Jude Bellingham. And 
this this is serious. This is serious. What what Girona are doing? They're still there. They're still top of the table. Match day twenty one, and now I think it's pretty much guaranteed that they're going to get European football. They're twenty points clear of seventh place. They're almost guaranteed Champions League football. And they are really, really setting themselves up for a serious title push come the uh, uh, last few weeks of the season. I think they absolutely are. Um, they don't have any European football, which I think makes a difference. I, I think any risk... They of, do have know, Copa losing... del Rey, though, this week, Sid, which is interesting because they've got Copa del Rey this week and Real Madrid don't. Yes. And, yeah. and, and obviously, I think, I think the, the, the key thing, of course, is they could still have three plus a final. Uh, I, I tend not to... I, always, I don't know why, but mentally, I always feel like the final don't, doesn't, really, doesn't really count. Uh, in terms of you know the, the impact it has on you, but of course it does. But it's because the Copa del Rey is condensed, so they have three games and then a final. Two of those will be in January. The other one's held back a little bit. The second leg of the semi-final is, is kind of pushed aside a little bit. By which time the other clubs will be back in Europe, um, so maybe it diminishes a little bit of the small advantage they've got. But but I think they're in a very strong place. I think they are there because they are the best team in Spain, and I genuinely think they are the best team in Spain in terms of how they play, in terms of how effective they are. Uh, they absolutely deserve to be there. And Michel at the weekend was talking about, you know, sixth place would be fine. But sixth place wouldn't be fine now. Not given the no. position they've got themselves in and how well they're playing. No, no, it wouldn't. It wouldn't. It would be massively disappointing because, yeah, they're playing so extremely well. Uh, before we go, I want to have a quick mention of the game that we both went to on Saturday at Vallecas. It was Raya against uh, Las Palmas. I want to talk about Las Palmas, who have gone a little bit under the radar. I mean, I know we've mentioned them, but they're... Um, they're eighth, Sid. They're eighth. They're a point of potentially uh, European football. They got their sixth um, clean sheet of the season. And I think they've got the best goalkeeper in the league, Sid, in Alvaro Valles. I think, I think they've got the best goalkeeper in the league. And then I look at the stats and the stats tell me that he is the best goalkeeper uh, in the league. Because in terms of shots saved, yeah. In terms yeah, yeah. of, there's quite a few metrics that he's leading. So it's not just save percentage that he's leading. He's got 82%, um, which is, you know, quite high for a save percentage there's an interesting metric which is the number of parried saves where there is no follow-up action so you parry the ball away and, and that's a good one he is miles ahead of every other keeper there so these are good quality saves uh, that are being made he's also punched away more crosses made more recoveries and played more passes than any of uh, the other fellow uh, goalkeepers so it does feel like he is really a standout performer in this Las Palmas side who do not score many goals at all they've got the lowest expected goals in the division vision and they're on a goal a game uh, in terms of uh, what they've scored because they've got five in their last two so that's brought that up a little bit but they need this solid uh, defensive uh, rearguard action and they, they've got their second best defensive record in the league so only Real Madrid have conceded fewer goals which like I said for a newly promoted side and you look at this squad and I don't think apart from Jonathan Vieira I'm not sure anyone had previous La Liga experience and he's he's gone now, Jonathan Vieira. So you look at this squad, nobody really had La Liga experience and here they are in eighth playing a very specific kind of football which is working for them. And, and this brings us back to, to Alvaro Valles because part of the reason why he's there is because he plays that specific ball. You, you, you mentioned that stat about the number of passes. Yeah. What was very interesting, there was, there was a couple of moments early on in the game on Saturday when Raya went and pressed and to try and prevent them to bring, from bringing the ball out from deep from central positions. And, and, and Herzog, who's the, who's the kid who played last week and scored, had a few moments where he looked a little bit nervous with the ball. Mm. And he wasn't necessarily getting the ball out. And it was Valles who broke that up by Raya mm. coming and press. OK, I'll go diagonal to the left back, who's gone right up the wing. And then all of a sudden, Raya thinking, oh, we can't go too far because he'll just go over us. 
and you've got mm. the quality of the goalkeeper to do that. Um, I, I think they're a really good team. They're a little bit bloodless sometimes for my liking in terms mm. of enjoying them, but they're brilliant at what they do. They use the ball to defend themselves, which is one of the reasons why the defensive record is good because they're not a team yeah. where you think, wow, they make loads of tackles. They make, no. no, they're positionally very good. They slow the game down. They keep position. They keep the ball away from you. They don't allow you to run counter-attacks on them. Um, even though they play quite high, they don't allow you to run counter-attacks on you. They don't allow you to go into the space behind them. If, if Alvaro Valles needs to be, he's a long way out of his goal. In fact, you see that header he did at the weekend yes. where he seemed to, be, uh, seemed to be completely out of position in my view, but it yeah. worked. Um, and it wasn't a classic thing where there's a player running for he heads it out. It's actually a long ball in the air and he's mm. 10 yards outside the area heading it away. Like, what are mm. you doing, you lunatic? <laughs> but, it, but it works for them. And they're, they're a genuinely good side. Um, I don't know if you heard Garcia Pimienta post-game. He was asked, can you dream of a little bit more? And he said, no, we can't dream. I thought, you no. miserable bastard. No, absolutely no <laughs> dreaming here. What are you on about? Well, they're 16 points clear of the relegation terms. I mean, that is a dream, to be honest. It is, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I thought there were, I thought there were shoo-ins to go down and uh, they're very much not going down this season. So, um, so there we go. Uh, before we go, here's a, a look at what's coming up in midweek because there is football uh, coming up uh, in midweek, obviously this evening depending on when producer Al manages to get the uh, uh, podcast up because he's a very busy man the next couple of weeks, but um, hopefully he'll get it up soon. Uh, this evening we've got Granada against uh, Atletico Madrid. Then we've got Copa del Rey. We've got quarterfinals this week. Tuesday night it's Celta Vigo uh, against uh, Real Sociedad at the Estadio de Balaidos. Let's see if... Um, It'll be similar to what happened uh, at the weekend or if Celta can produce a better performance. Then on Wednesday, it's Mallorca, Girona and Athletic Club Barcelona. Very, very tasty indeed. And then on Thursday, it's Atletico Madrid against Sevilla. So I think we'll be back on Friday uh, to discuss uh, everything that happens then uh, in terms of uh, the bonus podcast. And of course, we'll be over at patreon.com forward slash TSFP tomorrow for our Q&A podcast. So do send us questions and we will answer them. And if you don't want to do that, not interested, that's okay. We'll be back here next Monday with another free podcast for you. Thanks for listening, dearest friends. Adios. Cheerio.